0: Welcome, everybody. This is How to English. Teach and learn with Gav and M.
1: It's a podcast about teaching and learning English as a foreign language.
0: All opinions stated are personal and references will be given when necessary. Hi, Em.
1: Hi, Gav.
0: How are you doing?
1: Very, very good. Thank you. How are you?
0: I'm fine. Good. And have you had a good month?
1: Yes, so far, it's going well. Been a nice, um, nice March. Yeah,
0: this episode, episode three of season two, is on the topic of bias.
1: What is bias, Gav? Well, I'm
0: glad you asked me,
1: M. Well, I'm glad I asked you too, because I really wasn't ready for you to ask me. And as as soon as I started, I thought, oh, he's going to ask me what it means. So I thought I'd ask
0: you first. Well, bias according to Oxford dictionaries, is the inclination or prejudice for or against one person or group, especially in a way considered to be unfair. Right. Is that how you would describe it?
1: Mm, Yeah, yeah, yeah. um, How would you explain that in simple English?
0: Well, maybe giving preferential treatment to somebody or deliberately making someone's life... More difficult?
1: You mean bias can be positive or negative? Yes. Ah, I often mix that one up actually. I often think bias is always good. Or like, not good, but I mean, like... Negative. <laughs> like no, I mean, I always think it's about making Good people... bias. <laughs> <laughs> bias meaning positive bias, as in you like things or people more than other things and people. Like I never think about negative bias
0: very often. So we're going to discuss the topic of bias Yeah. from our own personal point of view, how we... Maybe teach some of the topics that come up while we're teaching. I'm not sure what you've got in mind about this topic. So I'm I'm really quite excited to hear your contributions. So I've got a few ideas on bias, maybe in the classroom, Mm -hmm. maybe bias in the materials we use, Mm. perhaps bias from our students. So this topic is not only for educators, for teachers, but it's also for the students to think, oh, Maybe I have some bias and I need to reflect Mm. on that and think, oh, how can I approach this in a more equitable way?
1: Nice word. Yeah, I think you're right about that as well. Reflection is very important. We all know that.
0: Yeah. Well, before we start, I want to introduce the listeners to maybe somebody they already know, because we're going to listen to an educator and speaker who is called Hedrick Nichols. And Hedrick is the host of Small Bites. It's equity strategies for busy people. And you can find Hedrick on YouTube and wherever you listen to your podcasts. The shows are only around five minutes long and they give educators, as Hedrick says, strategies to be more culturally responsible.
1: Yeah, I've heard quite a few. They're amazing. They're very informative. And Mm -hmm. they give me a lot of things to think about. I really enjoy listening to her.
0: Yeah, me too. Exactly. And they're on different topics. So um, it's really, really interesting. Listen to them all because you get so many different aspects of education that you can reflect on. So totally recommend Small Bites. And
1: what's this one that we're listening to today, Gav?
0: So in this episode, Hedrick will discuss the topics of favouritism and feedback And also single point rubric grading approaches, as well as using randomizers, which mitigates favoritism and bias in the classroom. So some really, really good tips in this episode. So let's have a listen to it first, and then we can maybe contribute with our own ideas after. Mm -hmm. Does that sound good? That sounds great. Okay. Okay, let's have a listen.
2: Hello, Gavin M. This is Hedrick Nichols. I am super excited to be here. I am very self-conscious of the way I talk right now because I'm a North Texas educator and y'all talk so pretty. At any rate, thank you for having me. I am an author, educator, and host of the series called Small Bites, a series that helps educators to be more culturally responsible and responsive educators. I am also the district team lead curriculum writer and ed tech teacher for an IB MYP program in a North Texas public charter. Super excited to be here. Thank you for listening, learning and doing the work. Hello and welcome to Small Bites, equity strategies for busy people. Thanks so much for coming back each week, for listening, for learning. And if you like what you're learning here, please share Small Bites with three or four educators who you know can also profit from the learning. And if you're listening on a podcast, please leave a rating, a five-star rating, of course, and like and subscribe here on YouTube. So this week, I'd like to talk more about teacher favoritism, Are you playing favorites in your class? The answer is unequivocally yes. (laughs) There is no way not to get around bias. As we talked about last week, you are going to either love some kid because they're just like you or love some kid because, oh my God, thank God, they're nothing like me or somewhere in between. So you really want to get in the practice of mitigating bias. Things that you can do are to always use a number picker system. There are lots of apps, and I will definitely link some in the blog, uh, that you can use so that instead of calling people who only those five or six who raise their hands all the time or calling kids who you know either will have the answer or who you know don't have the answer, That way it's random. You get a pick of all of your students. You check for understanding from all of your students. If you have larger classes, 25, 30, and more, it's more difficult because it's quicker to go to those five or six kids who you know are paying attention and are going to have the right answer. But that's not checking understanding for all of your students. So that's something that's important because othering is not black and white. Othering simply has to do with creating an in-group and an out-group. That's something that's natural. It's something that we do. It's us. It's me and my mommy. And then it's me and my family. And then it's me and family and uncles and aunts. And that's where we begin to have in-groups, an us and a them. But when that them starts to disenfranchise others, that's when the whole Othering thing is not a good thing. If you are an athlete and you love the athletes, then you might kind of have a funny thing. Eh, the nerdy kid, oh God, he gets on my nerves. If you were the nerd, the bookish kid who was always getting popped upside the head by <laughs> the athletes, then you might have a hard time dealing with the basketball superstar in your class. So make sure that you are monitoring your own self, that you are being extremely transparent when you ask yourself these kinds of questions and check out the resources so that you can continue to learn. Now for the five strategies to help you become a more culturally responsible educator, visit hedrick.com for the links. If you have 20 to 30 minutes read and internalize the outcomes of favoritism, including damage to your own reputation from this UCLA psyched article based on work by Emily Chang. The article cites studies going back to 1983 and that's important because although we talk about equity and education issues, kind of like it's a buzzword, a trending topic, a new thing, it's definitely not a new concept. If you have 15 to 20 minutes, read this K-12 dive synopsis and listen to Verna Meyer's Ted talk, on mitigating implicit bias. If you have 10 to 15 minutes, use this link to watch the small bites bias collection. I've pulled in a few of the resources where I talk about different kinds of cognitive biases so that you can kind of listen to them and do them as a a kind of a study for yourself and answer some questions that will help you be a more equitable practitioner. If you have five to 10 minutes, dig into Jennifer Gonzalez's single point rubric strategy. It's not only going to help you mitigate bias, it's also going to revolutionize the way you give feedback and the amount of time it takes to give students valuable feedback. No, not grades, feedback. And finally, if you have zero to five minutes, take this fun quiz to get a feel for the kinds of questions you can ask yourself and the kinds of preferences you should monitor yourself for. All right, this has been Hedrick Nichols with Small Bites. We'll be live in two weeks. Please like, subscribe, share with your friends, and come back next week to learn how to be a more culturally responsible and responsive educator. See you next week on Small Bites. How do you eat an elephant? One small bite at a time. Having a hard time staying awake until Friday night after a long day of COVID-era instruction? Well, then catch me on Monday mornings, 5 a.m. Central, that's 6 a.m. in New York City, and get the latest Small Bites. Plus, be on the lookout for Lanyap. Lots to think
1: about there, Gav.
0: Yeah, exactly. That was a really good insight. And loads of suggestions. There's loads of links as well. I'll make sure that I put links to Hedrick's uh, website and to the YouTube channel. And as I said before, make sure you go to your favourite podcast host and find Small Bites. It's a really, really useful resource for educators and I think it's great for students as well. Really interesting.
1: The thing I really like is that it's nice that the length is nice and short, but there's so much in there that I'm just constantly thinking, oh, yeah, mm, that's a really interesting point. And yeah, yeah, yeah. So... it's amazing how much Hedrick can get into such a small amount of time Mm -hmm. but it really does give me food for thought
0: yeah definitely
1: as soon as the subject of favoritism Mm -hmm. came up Mm -hmm. I was just immediately like yeah that is really really important and I need to think more about that because we all do it don't we I think we don't realise as Hedrick said we don't realise we're doing it but we must be doing it Mm -hmm. that we're looking or focusing our attention on one student or a few students more than others or that there's those students that reply or contribute more so you naturally just go with them a bit more and you look to them a bit more and we have to really include everybody it's so important Mm -hmm. and those students that are not maybe confident or willing to contribute when you start to really show them that you're aware of them and you're interested in what they have to say and, you know, you can see them transforming and it just takes time sometimes, but it's easy to just think or disregard those students, which is just a terrible thing.
0: It is, and it's such a shame to not include some students just, uh, as you say, it could be because they're weaker students because maybe it takes them a little bit longer to answer you. You need to create a strategy that will include everybody in the lesson.
1: Yeah. What Hedrick's talking about, I guess it was more sort of school-age students, which obviously does come into EFL. There are a lot of young people learning, but how would you say it works in your lessons, Gav, when you're teaching adults? like Is it the same as what Hedrick was describing?
0: I guess so. I... I think when I was thinking about the randomizer, that I always make sure I write down the names of the students if I've got a group and then I just really just go from top to bottom, top to bottom and I make sure that I cover each one and probably put a little tick next mm. to each to make sure they've answered a a question in the session um, Mm. and just keep repeating that. I think that's obviously not random, but um, it's to make sure that they definitely all answer a question or they all engage. You've
1: said to me in the past that you don't go in the order of, you know, one, two, three, four, five. You say to me sometimes you get student two to answer two in a row just to keep them on their toes. Yeah,
0: you can do that too. But as
1: long as you're keeping track of who's spoken, then I think it's fair i think the students will start to recognize that you're not favoritizing favoring (laughs) favoring thank you you're not favoring one or the other you know two two or three students that you're actually going to ask everybody but you might not do it in order because it does get a bit monotonous and we said before especially online it's that your turn and now it's your turn and now it's your turn and you know whose turn it's next it's your turn (laughs) So I agree. It's nice to change it a bit so they're not expecting Mm -hmm. that. But as we also mentioned in the past, just to get the students to nominate each other. So you're not, as a teacher, you're not the one with all the power.
0: Yeah, but I do worry about the students' bias because I know they like talking to each other. I know that they have preferences and they maybe would prefer to speak to one student rather than the other. So the teacher has to be aware of that.
1: Maybe. I think you have to let that happen naturally and then deal with it if it's an issue. As far as my own experience with my students, there is a certain amount of etiquette there. I think that they are aware of the fact everyone should get their turn and it's not that often that there's someone only asking one question to one student all the time backwards and forth, like a game of table tennis and everybody's just sort of watching these two <laughs> two people. I think they're generally quite aware of it. So yeah. I, I, I don't think it's really a problem. I found um, that
0: my students just go in a kind of circle because they yeah. re- recognise my techniques and they repeat oh, okay. it themselves. So they nominate the next person.
1: Yeah, that. yeah. And it is a bit false, isn't it? But that is how it is teaching English, I think. You have to just go with that. Yeah. Just accept that's the way
0: it is. Maybe. I don't know. You can really mix it up. I, I like um, breakout rooms, for example, on Zoom I think you mm. can have them randomised. Okay. I was just reflecting on this idea as well that we often put weaker students with stronger students. That's positive and negative.
1: Is it? Yeah,
0: because it really benefits the lower level students, yeah. I guess, because it pushes them and they'll have maybe some more support from the higher level student. Maybe. But it could be a disadvantage for the higher level yeah. student.
1: Well, it could also be a disadvantage for the lower level if the higher level person is dominating Mm -hmm. and just talking and not letting the other one talk.
0: And also, if you are this lower level student, you kind of expect the teacher to put you with the higher level student. And Mm. if you're the higher level student, you think, oh, I'm going to be stuck with the lower level student. And it's it's really hard. How can you really randomise these things?
1: I actually don't do that. I think it's nice to put people of similar levels together because... They'll have a nice time with each other, oh okay, um it just again, it's about variety, sometimes, yeah, sometimes no, but I think that is the key. It's the variety that we need to keep in mind, so yeah, I think this sort of randomised asking of questions. I suppose if you want, you could put a dice on the table and mm. ask students to choose a number or whatever okay. and number everybody so that, that it is random. But yeah. I always think statistically there's going to be numbers that come up more than others. And then it's sort of random bias, if that's a thing.
0: Well, it is now. <laughs> random bias. I like that. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that so works. Do you avoid giving the lower level students more challenging questions? Because you know they're going to fail.
1: Well, it really depends on how long I've been teaching them. I think um, definitely at the beginning, I like to boost confidence in the slightly weaker or shyer or less capable students. So I just give them the questions they I know they know so that they feel confident. But now as they get further along with me and my course, I don't really mind if they don't know. I think that's part of learning is... To be able to say, I don't know the answer. And but do then... you
0: set them up to fail? No. So how do you not challenge them with something you know they're going to fail at?
1: There's a lot of negatives in that. How do I not challenge them with something I know they...
0: Do you deliberately make it easier for the lower level students in in a group, for example? Yeah, well, compared...
1: I just said at the beginning of the course, yeah, sometimes I will offer them questions I know they know or that are easier But no, as the course goes along and they get to know me and I get to know them, I don't think there's anything wrong with giving people hard questions because they surprise you a lot of the time. You don't expect them to get it right or that they're going to know, but then they do know it. Mm -hmm. And then you sort of learn that you shouldn't judge because you have no idea what Mm -hmm. they know. Don't you agree? Yeah.
0: I think I'm still quite cautious about giving more challenging tasks to a weaker student in the group because I don't want them to be embarrassed if they don't mm. know the answer I'm also I try to be very patient so I wait as long as I think they're comfortable yeah with the, trying to give me their answer but then I'm quite happy to suddenly switch to another student and say well do you know this answer or can you help with this or do mm. you have any ideas and as you say if you've Develop this relationship with the class then hopefully they don't feel too upset about they're not yeah they're not too unhappy that they don't know the answer and they think well fine the other student can answer this I'll get another one later
1: I think that's the goal it's to create an environment where there is no shame in I don't know that answer or that you open it up to the class because somebody doesn't know I think it's really important that you're not just giving them questions that they because I think they know in the end that you know they know if you know what I mean.
0: I do know what you yeah. mean. And so, it's a weird thing that you're asking somebody to tell you something that you know they know.
1: And it's an unspoken thing because then the whole class know, you know, they know. And <laughs> you know it, it, gets, it gets a bit silly, I think. It is a bit strange. So I don't have that problem. I think I just make sure the questions are understandable mm-hmm. and that, that everybody's got a chance of of answering and as long as you've taught whatever it is you're teaching in a way that means you're constantly checking or clarifying or asking those concept questions uh, concept checking questions that you know that everybody's with you and Mm -hmm. you're going together Mm -hmm. Um, I did wonder Gav when you were talking about that, you know, feeling of shame or embarrassment. Perhaps you are projecting your own fear. Maybe you're projecting your own fears onto your students. Maybe. Which may not even be relevant.
0: You could be right there.
1: But I feel the same way if I'm in a group of people and I get asked a direct question and I don't know the answer. I feel very embarrassed. Mm. But I don't know if our students feel like that. No. Because, come on, like they're learning a language They're going to have made a lot of mistakes in the past. Maybe they they don't
0: know they're making mistakes. That's the other thing. Until they get you as a teacher.
1: Possibly. Well, I mean, we're talking about questions. We're not talking about errors in language. We're just saying, do you know the answer? They can't. If they don't know the answer, they can't pretend to know. It's either right or
0: wrong. It's interesting because I do sometimes say, well, what is the difference between sieve and colander? And I say often, maybe I don't say it often. but It's it's a
1: constant question I have, absolutely. It's always in
0: my mind. Wake up in the middle of the night wondering, yeah. And it's quite nice for the students to guess. And Mm. I'm thinking about it now. My students do guess. They're sometimes wrong, but they don't seem too embarrassed or... The lesson doesn't stop like, oh, goodness, this is awful. I don't know mm. the answer to this question. Yeah, But they seem quite happy to contribute. So that makes me feel like that environment, that safe environment in my classroom is there. So that's really positive.
1: Yeah. And I think if you were only to focus on one or two students, you wouldn't have that environment. That would just be a very, like Hedrick said, a very us and them sort of mm. separate group of those who can and those who can't. And, yeah. and that's what you're trying to avoid. So it's sort of generates the thing doesn't it that trust there generates that willingness to contribute and make sure you know as a teacher you're not just choosing one person all the time
0: definitely Um, I'm not sure if I have that many questions in my lesson like it's not like what's the word for this or what's the difference between this I don't think it happens that often it As I said before, it is a bit more of a conversation. So it's more about talking about their experiences and then I might need to clarify and correct some language. I think
1: it all still applies. Has anybody ever done a bungee jump? And maybe, you know, everybody has, but you only talk to one person about that. You know, it's it's still about the focus or the time that they get to contribute being different from the others. I Mm -hmm. mean, what I will say is... One great way of dealing with this is to get someone to observe you because you don't always know your own bias and you could come out of a lesson and think, well, yeah, maybe that person spoke for longer. But if you actually ask somebody to come into your lesson or observe you online and time it, Mm -hmm. literally each student, how much time they had to speak you might be surprised. Mm. You might not even realise who it is you're favouring.
0: That's a really good point.
1: So I think that's the first step of recognising it and knowing yeah. actually the reality of it because you you might not actually know.
0: Yeah, they're, they're mostly unconscious bias. I agree.
1: Yeah. So from a student's point of view, Gav... Yeah. Do you think your students show bias
0: towards you...? How do you mean, M?
1: So they talk to you more than they talk to each other. Yes. They want your attention. Yes. More than everyone else's. Yes. What do you do? How do you deal with that? I just
0: turn my back, walk away. And and it works.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I don't believe you, especially on a lo- online lesson. I don't believe you. Uh, that is not going to work on online lessons. Yeah,
0: w- weirdly, yeah, online is just face to face, but with a group of people. So, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I had somebody tell me to um, look at the camera and ask me. Oh. <laughs> it was really interesting. Really? He, he, I think he said, um, are you talking to me? And I said, yeah, I used your name. And he said, but you weren't looking at me. Oh, wow. <laughs> so I put my face to the camera and asked again. Wow. Really interesting.
1: That is interesting.
0: Mm. It's got nothing to do with our conversation, but let's carry on.
1: Mm. No, it's interesting how you direct your eyes on an online Lesson. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, but I imagine it's just like a one-to-one lesson with five people.
1: Right. So mm -hmm. you're just looking at all of them.
0: Yeah, but one at a time.
1: I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) What are you talking about? You can only look at one person at one time. Yeah, but I just
0: see them as individuals rather than... I don't know. I don't see a group of online students as a group class. I see them as Uh a number of individual students.
1: So how do you deal with them as a
0: group? It's just really hard to work with them as a group unless you do, like, breakout rooms, as I said. And then you remove yourself from it.
1: Okay. I would sort of see it as a cake. Like, you've just got to make sure you get a bit of all the cake. Like, you've got to take bits Yeah, but that's you.
0: You're you're the focus of the lesson, aren't you? Mm. This is the problem. Mm. As you said, the students are often focused on the teacher... Yeah. But it's just as useful for them to be focused on each other.
1: That's true. Maybe online is a bit difficult in that way because you are just sat in one place. And yeah,
0: the teacher can switch off the camera and just say, "Right, you lot, talk together, and mm. I'll give you, Ooh. I'll give you some feedback in ten minutes." That's interesting. You yeah. can
1: do that. You can sort of disappear but still be there in the background. Mm.
0: That's effective.
1: Ooh, I might try that.
0: So that would eradicate the bias the students might have of wanting to speak only to the teacher.
1: Yes, yes, but then again, you'd have to see what happens and if naturally, you know, a couple of them are just talking and being dominant, then you might have to step in and say, well, what do you think, mm-hmm. thingy? And um, yeah, okay, that's a nice idea though, I like that. And also, from a student perspective, the language you use, using the language you know, the bias you have with the language you feel confident with opposed to the language you're not confident with Uh and just, you know, getting stuck in a bit of a rut where you're just using the same language all the time.
0: Yes, that is a kind of bias. Yeah. Yeah, break that habit, students.
1: That's right. Get out of your
0: comfort zone. That's it. I thought a nice remedy for some of these biases...
1: Biases?
0: ..was to diversify your materials teacher i know we've mentioned raise up books absolutely wonderful i'll put a link in the show notes have a look at raise up you'll see some people from different backgrounds that you might not typically encounter so this is really important for the teachers to find these materials and
1: so you're talking about bias of just looking at things that are relevant to you or influence your life Mm -hmm. or are similar to your life yeah okay people
0: who look like you people who do the things you do just think how can you break that habit of of being so focused on maybe a a very narrow view of Mm. life
2: yeah so how can you do
0: that and I think what's really fun is you can watch tv shows about diverse characters So I often think about when I'm watching a TV show, if I'm listening to a podcast, I have a little checklist in my mind and I think, okay, well, has this show considered people from different backgrounds? Maybe we might think about people with disabilities, maybe trans people, people of colour, people from other countries, younger people, older people. These are... Different groups of people that we might not encounter or we might not consider.
1: Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Absolutely right. And I think Hedrick mentioned maybe in a different episode of Small Bites was about just encouraging your students to see things from other people's point of view Mm. and to question you know their motives and and that's a great exercise for a language lesson you know what do you think this person is thinking or why is this person doing that Mm. or just see it from their perspective Mm -hmm. um it's such a little shift in your thought process but that little shift changes everything yeah if you're just Trying to empathise rather than ask yourself why. Like, what would I do? Yeah. Just think, why are they doing that? Yeah. For what reason and what's their life like? And those things are really important.
0: Yeah. And it's not just about being negative or positive. It's just understanding other people's motives. Why Mm -hmm. are people reacting in these ways? It's really, really important to understand.
1: So as we've said in the past, it's about choosing your materials carefully. And making sure that you're representing other people that are not like you and encouraging the students to do the same.
0: Yeah, exactly. Students do likewise. Have a look around. Don't just have that narrow view of life. Life is wonderfully diverse and interesting and fascinating. There's a myriad of different ways to look at life. And why wouldn't you?
1: want Absolutely. to look at it from a different perspective
0: yeah yeah totally agree Fine. are you sure that we've talked about everything we were going to talk about well
1: as i say every week no of course not there's probably loads of things we haven't talked about but that probably will be enough for today that, yeah. that will
0: do okay reflect on this
1: yeah okay that's the thought for the day everybody reflect on this yeah
0: And definitely go and check out Small Bites. absolutely amazing. As I say, on YouTube or the podcast, uh, you can find the links in the show notes. And thank you again to Hedrick for um, letting us add her show to ours. It's been really brilliant. Thank you so much.
1: Thanks, Hedrick. Okay, Gav, I will see you next month.
0: I will see you next month. Have a good one.
1: Yeah, see ya.
0: Ciao.